0: Last week we looked at John, um, First John five, and when we did, we considered, um, if you recall, that it is necessary to believe that Jesus is the Christ in order to be saved, right? And again, you're saved not based on that belief, right? What must a man do to be saved? Repent and believe, right? You're not saved on the basis of repentance and faith. You're saved on the basis of Christ's work. I know. I know. I say that every time I, I discuss this, but I'm going to keep saying it because I think it's important that we remind ourselves of that. And we guard ourselves against ever thinking that we get any credit for our repentance or faith. Okay. Um, I then asked, "What does it mean then to believe that Jesus is the Christ?" And I went through a couple items. You know, to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, or to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, is to proclaim. This, 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 right? One of the many things I explained is that you must believe that Jesus is God and that he is divine. So to say that I believe that, according to what we looked at last week, Jesus is the Christ, is to say that I believe that Jesus is God, that he is divine. Now, throughout the course of human history, there have been countless heresies, right? False teachings, heresies concerning. The nature of God. And for the past approximately 2,000 years, there have been several prominent heresies concerning the ontological nature of Jesus. By ontological, basically uh, we refer to the material and the immaterial. So I didn't use that term for God, right? But I use it for Jesus, right? Jesus' material, his body, right? And his immaterial would be his his spirit, his, his soul, that spiritual aspect of him, right? God the Father, if we're talking about him, God the Holy Spirit, it's just immaterial. There is no physical being, It's God is Spirit, right? But Jesus, right, his, his, his nature, ontological nature, he's composed of both of that which is material and that which is immaterial. Now the Bible, sorry, um, uh, in this passage that we're going to look at today, 1 John 5, 6 through 12, John is refuting, or refutes, I should say, A heresy that states that divine nature was bestowed on the man Jesus at his baptism and then departed Jesus prior to his crucifixion. Okay. Now, now that that heresy is is very similar to the heresy of adoptionism. Again, this is concerning the nature of Christ. So I'm just going to read to you just briefly uh, about what this heresy, adoptionism, states. Something that, that, again, we would be probably more familiar with. Um, adoptionism. This heresy is the view that Jesus was in nature a man who became the Son of God by adoption. That is that Jesus was a virtuous man that God adopted and constituted him as his son. It taught that Jesus was an ordinary man born of Mary and Joseph and at his baptism the spirit of Christ descended upon Jesus and at his crucifixion the Christ departed leaving the man Jesus to suffer alone. Now similar view states that Jesus was a man who was born of a virgin through the operation of the Holy Spirit. And because of the purity of his life at his baptism, the Spirit, or the Christ, descended on him and he received power for his special ministry. But he was not fully God. This is what we would consider the the historical heresy of adoptionism, very similar to the heresy that that John is refuting in, in this passage. Bible, however, makes it clear that God, the eternal Son, added humanity to his deity, that Mary's miraculous conception, thereby becoming the forever God man, hundred percent God and one hundred percent man. Now there are many passages throughout the entirety of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, that clearly proclaim the deity of Christ. However, we're going to stick with John today as he specifically refutes this false doctrine and confirms Jesus' deity. So let's turn now to John I'm sorry, first John, chapter five, verses six through 12. 1 John 5, 6-12. This is he, again referring to Jesus, right? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. Whoever believes the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you haven't had the opportunity to grab an outline, or a, I believe there's an outline on, on the bulletin, so if you, if you want one, you can grab one. If not, I'm going to give you real quick um, my outline for today, and it's this. It's three witnesses and two testimonies. All right, so we're going to first examine three witnesses concerning the deity of Christ. That is water, blood, spirit, two testimonies, right? And two testimonies... We've got God's testimony, right? We've got man, or man's faith, or faith's testimony. Well, John begins in verse 6, and he talks about in defending the deity of Christ. He says there's three witnesses, if you will, and the first one is water. Water, blood, and spirit. Water refers to Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism affirms his deity. Let's look at that. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. And we'll see how the baptism of Jesus affirms his deity. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John, that is John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented them saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill anoints Jesus into his public ministry as Messiah. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah 42, verse 1. Isaiah 42, 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice The nation. So, first we have the Spirit anointing Jesus into his public ministry as Messiah, confirming him as Messiah. And then we have God proclaiming Jesus' deity by saying, This is what? My son. Not through adoption, okay, but by very nature and being. We're going to look at several Old Testament passages that confirm that the Messiah... Okay, we'll leave Jesus out of it for just a second. We're going to look at several Old Testament passages that are going to confirm that the Messiah would, in fact, be divine. Okay, let's start... um, Let's look at Isaiah. Um, You still might be there. Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 1 and verse 10. All of these passages are concerning the Messiah. Verse 1 says, There shall... Come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Right? So verse 1 says that the Messiah is going to be a descendant of Jesse. Remember who Jesse was? All right? David's father. Right? So, so here we've got the Messiah. He's going to be a descendant, right, of Jesse. But in verse 10, it says this concerning the Messiah. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So verse 1 and verse 10 both refer to the Messiah. Verse 1 says the Messiah is going to be an offspring of Jesse. And verse 10 says that the Messiah is going to be the, the root of Jesse. Well, how can this be? There's only one possible solution, and that's what? It's that the Messiah would, in fact, be God, right? That he would be, as God, the source or the root of Jesse, and as Messiah, right, he would be human slash God, right, offspring of Jesse. Micah 5.2 supports this. Let's go there. Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. So Micah says, okay, wait a minute. The Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. Oh, yeah. But, but the Messiah is coming forth from of old, from ancient of days. The Messiah is the ancient of days who would be born then, looking back now, who was born bethlehem daniel 7 let's turn there and these are just select passages um again starting in in genesis right all the way to malachi right scripture is filled with um verses that proclaim the deity of the coming messiah right again these are just a few select ones that i've i've picked that clearly uh uh, depict the messiah as divine daniel 7 we're going to look at verses uh, 13 and 14 I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one thou that shall not be destroyed. Again, Daniel depicts the Messiah's dominion and rulership and kingdom as everlasting, clearly divine. All right, one more passage here. Old Testament, confirming with the new, go back to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Now, this is one that you're all familiar with. You don't have to turn there if you don't want, because I know we're, there's going to be a lot of this today jumping back and forth, but that's good. Um, 7, 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, all right, We read this one at Christmas time, right? Behold. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, referring to the coming Messiah. His name shall be called Emmanuel. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, quoting from Isaiah, it says, In all this it took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, referring now to Jesus, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? Which means God with us. Let's connect the dots for a minute here. The Old Testament, and again, these were just select verses. The Old Testament clearly proclaims the deity of the coming Messiah. The New Testament, specifically at his baptism, as John is addressing here in 1 John chapter 5, right? The New Testament, his baptism confirms, right, Holy Spirit descending upon him, right? The Father, this is my Son, who I'm well pleased, right, confirms Jesus as Messiah. Old Testament says the Messiah will be divine, God of very gods. New Testament says Jesus is Messiah. We see that at his baptism. Thus, Jesus is what? Jesus must be. Jesus is divine. He is God. He is God. John the Baptist, right? So, So we've connected the dots here through his baptism, and we see that Jesus is divine. John the Baptist proclaims, right the lordship the deity right of jesus and we see this in john 129 through 30 uh 34 so let's turn there um again john um 129 through 34 and john is in part john the apostle here is in part um recording or records and put for us down here what what john the baptist said if you will concerning the baptism of Jesus just so we kind of have an idea um, uh, of what's going on. Um, The next day, he saw Jesus, the, the hebe here being John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was before me, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. John the Baptist continues, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The first thing that John the Baptist proclaims is what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's look at Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses six through seven, we have some scribes here that says in uh, verse six, now some, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Right? And this is just after Jesus heals and forgives the paralytic, okay? And in verse seven, we see the scribes say concerning Jesus, why does this man speak like that? So here we have scribes, non-believers, Intimately familiar with the Old Testament. They say, he is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's true, right? I mean, when we sin, we sin against God. I mean, again, when we talk about sinning against others, I did him wrong, I did her wrong, and I need to I need to ask for their forgiveness, and, and that's right. But when we sin, ultimately, right, we sin against God. God is what? He's the law giver. And since he is the law giver, when we break the law, our sin is primarily and ultimately against the law giver. And since our sin is against the law giver, he's the only one who can what? Forgive our sin. Right? The scribes knew that. John the Baptist knew that. And what does he proclaim? Behold the Lamb of God who what? takes away the sins of the world. Behold God. That's what John the Baptist said. Behold God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist proclaims the deity of Jesus. Also we see here, he says, um, again, John 1, Thirty. This is he, right? John the Baptist. This is he, he being Jesus, of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me. This is interesting. After me, speaking of Jesus, comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now, now how is that possible? And I'm thinking back to those passages we just looked at in, in Isaiah and in Malachi, right? Here we've got one who's... Uh, uh, um, fruit or is, is, is from Jesse, but yet he's the root of Jesse. We have one who's coming from Bethlehem, but yet, yet he's the ancient of days. And John the Baptist says, he was before me. But John the Baptist was older than Jesus. He was born before him. So how, how is that possible? How is it that John the Baptist is proclaiming that, knowing that? It's clear. John the Baptist knows that Jesus, the Messiah, is God of very God. Let's turn back to 1 John um, 5. Three witnesses. The water. Jesus' baptism declares his deity. right? And he says his blood. Jesus' death proclaims his deity or affirms his deity. There are four supernatural, technically, really there's five, but we're going to look at four, uh, four or five supernatural events that occurred at the death of Jesus, all proclaiming his deity. You know, I was thinking about this, right? right back to the baptism, right? I mean, for believers who have been baptized, right? I mean, Jesus was baptized, right? I'm a believer. If you're a believer and you've been baptized, you've been baptized, right? What was different about Jesus' baptism than yours or mine? Again, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested upon him, okay? And this was, this was clear to all who were there and around him that that, that, that did not happen for you or for me. Right. We know that God gives us the Holy Spirit as believers, right? Not what happened with Jesus, okay? Um, and also, God spoke. Like, audibly, he spoke, right? And he said, this is my beloved son, All right? Again, we have these things that happened at Jesus' baptism that didn't happen at yours, that didn't happen at mine, and aren't going to happen at anybody else's. Again, in part, confirming his deity. The same thing with his death. So we're going to look at these five miraculous things that happened at Christ's death. You're going to die unless he returns first, right? Most likely we're all going to die before that, okay? And none of these five things are going to happen when you die or when I die. And again, these miraculous events proclaim his his deity. Let's look at Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter twenty-seven, and um, we're going to start with verse forty-five. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. All right? There was darkness over all the land for how many hours? Three hours, three hours, there was a supernatural darkness, right? Not, that you know, it was cloudy. No, yeah, no, it was one of those days where the thick thunderstorm clouds rolled in. No, it was supernaturally dark. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, "This man is calling Elijah." And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, "Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him." And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and what? And yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top. To bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. So the first miraculous event was the darkness. The second one, at least as far as how I'm I'm, I'm listing it or organizing it, was the earthquake. He died and the earth shook and the rocks split because he was God. The second, sorry, the third miracle I mean, think about this. I don't know. I think most of us tend to overlook this. Um, It says what? The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. He died and there were saints that were raised from the dead. When we think about Lazarus, right? I mean, Jesus called him out and raised him back to life. We think of the guy that fell out of the window and Paul, really Christ through Paul, right? You know, raised from the dead. But at his death, right, the bodies of many saints were raised from the dead. How could that be if he was just a a mere man? The most... miraculous, actually the last two, I think, are the most miraculous ones, um, uh, events that occurred at his death was that the temple veil was torn in two. Now, Jewish tradition states that the temple veil was about as thick as a man's hand. It might be a little over-exaggeration. The, the point is that the, the, veil was, the veil was thick and the veil could not be unintentionally torn Okay? Let alone torn from top to bottom. And yet as at his death the temple veil was torn supernaturally, miraculously from top to bottom, signifying that God's presence was now open to awe. Let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 20. Hebrews 10, 19 through 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus is our way to and before God. He accomplished something with his death. Again, when, when I die, when you die, when those who have died before us and after us die, they don't accomplish anything with their death. I mean, our uh, death is the enemy, yes, and yet is the result of sin, and in that it does glorify God because in part it satisfies his His righteous judgment against sin, but yet our deaths in and of themselves don't accomplish anything. Christ's death, as, as evidenced through the tearing of the veil, accomplished something. The way before God was now open, And the sins of all whom he would save were atoned for. The last thing was the centurion. The last miracle that happened at his death. Here here there is this centurion. This most likely Roman pagan centurion who witnessed these events. And at the conclusion, proclaimed that surely this is the Son of God. It was a proclamation of faith, is what it was. And he was actually speaking for several who were there. Through the death of Christ, God miraculously and supernaturally saved this man. Opened his heart and opened his mind to the reality of who Jesus was. So his baptism affirms his deity. His death affirms his deity. The Holy Spirit affirms his deity. The Holy Spirit is the only person. And the Holy Spirit is a person, right? Not, not as Jesus was a person, right? We talk about this ontological nature thing, right? Jesus, material, immaterial, right? Holy Spirit is a person, though. Um, he is a divine person, right? No body, just spirit. But he is a divine person. The Holy Spirit is the only person that was present and active at the baptism of Jesus who is currently present and active in the lives of believers. Two things. One, concerning Jesus. The Holy Spirit was present at his conception, confirmed him as God and Christ as at his baptism, and worked with him, through him, throughout his entire earthly ministry. Two. The Holy Spirit bears witness to the deity of Jesus, right? Who is the Messiah, the Christ, and the lives and in the hearts of God's children. Saints, Christians, believers, beloved, right? 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 through 14. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit enables, as believers, okay, our belief in the deity of Jesus and gives us understanding as to the importance of his deity. This is going to go along uh, with the very last point we're going to look at um, in the outline. So these are the three witnesses that that John gives that proclaims, affirms the deity of Christ. We've got the water that is his baptism. We've got the blood that is his death. And we've got the Holy Spirit who was active then, is active now, and confirms, affirms in the lives of believers that Jesus is in fact God. Verses 9 through 12, he gives us two testimonies. That proclaim the deity of Christ. Let's go back to First John. 9 through 12. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. for this is the testimony of God that He is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning, him, um, concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever, whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. God gives testimony of Christ's deity. Right? God's testimony concerning the deity of Jesus the Christ, right? the son, is found where? Where do we have this testimony? Well, it's in his word, right? We just looked at about a half dozen verses in the Old Testament that proclaim the deity of Christ. We're going to look at two more, right? I say Genesis to Revelation. I mean it. Genesis to Revelation. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. The first passage in which we, albeit in a somewhat of a veiled way, nonetheless, this is the first passage where we see God working as multiple Persons or individuals. We see God the Son at work. It becomes more clear as we study scripture, right? But nonetheless, this is the first passage that proclaims the deity, if you will, of God the Son. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Who is this our who is this us speaking? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have the pre-incarnate Son working, right? First passage that proclaims it. um, We have the pre-incarnate Son working. That is prior to what? The addition of his humanity. We see him at work in Revelation though not the last verse or passage. Let's look at Revelation 1.8. So John has this vision, right? It's Christ who he's talking to or who's talking with him. And of the many things that Christ tells him, as he records in this book, we see in verse 8 that Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now listen, we know that throughout the entirety of the New Testament, right, Jesus constantly affirms his deity, right? Self-affirms his deity. He says, I'm God, right? But he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Says who? Says Jesus. But it doesn't say Jesus. What does it say? Says the Lord God, who is, is, like always has been, is okay? And presently is. And who was? Always. And who is to come? Always. The Almighty. Jesus says, I am God. God testifies to the deity or of the deity of Jesus, who is the Christ in his word. From Genesis to Revelation. How do we know that Jesus is God? Well, The Bible. I was going to hold up my Bible, but I didn't bring my Bible today. I brought my iPad. The Bible, right? God's testimony to the deity of his Son. Listen, God the Son has always been God the Son and always will be God the Son. Okay? But God the Son is now, right, that, that began, if you will, at the miraculous conception, is, is Jesus. So, so, who is God the Son? God the Son is Jesus, like, like 100% man and 100% God. Now, he's not always been 100% man, right, that, that occurred at the miraculous conception, okay, but God the Son has always been God the Son, and now God the Son added humanity to His deity, and God the Son is is now the forever God-Man Jesus, who is the Christ. Now, and and ten B and nine ten through A, uh, John actually gives us uh, really two responses uh, um, to God's testimony. There's basically two options here, okay? Um, and, and I would say it's a bit of application because. Um, every person is going to respond one of two ways concerning the deity of Jesus Christ. Go back here to 1 John 5. In verse 10b, well, actually, I'm just going to read 9, 9, and 10. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has this testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. Okay, so the first option concerning God's testimony is this, 10a, right? We believe in the son of God. choice one. You believe God's testimony and you believe in the Son of God. You believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that person is truly born again. The other option is what? It's disbelief. It's belief or disbelief. He says in verse 9, "...if we believe the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son." ten B whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. John says that's what he says. You believe men, but you won't believe God? I mean tell me tell me how that makes sense, right? You believe men, but you won't believe God? When you do that you call God a liar because you say you don't believe him. There's only one of two choices. You either believe him and you affirm his truth and you affirm what is true or you don't believe him and you call him a liar and you don't have the son. John's calling out these first century heretics. You know, and I, I read this passage. I can't help but think of Jehovah's Witnesses today who deny the deity of Christ. Christ. You believe men, right? John's speaking to them, in part anyway. You believe men, but you don't believe God. Then you call him a liar, and you do not have the son. So there's one of two choices. It's either belief or disbelief, and there is no middle ground. The last testimony is that of man's faith, we'll say. God has given us the testimony of faith, and faith gives us confidence in his deity, real similar to the last uh, uh, witness, the Holy Spirit, right? Kind of working together. Understand that, no true believer denies, or will deny,
1: <clears throat>
0: excuse me, the deity of Jesus, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. All true believers will affirm, accept whatever you want to use in there, the deity of Jesus. Now now that being said, I, I wanna I wanna say this, and I think it's important. I think there are those who might be unaware, might be might be ignorant. All right. We we understand that God saves people all the time in spite of our misunderstandings, and, and lack of understandings. I think God saves people that, 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 that have no clear understanding that Jesus is, in fact, God, and, and in fact, there's God the Father, there's God the, the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit, and, and they're all one, but yet they're independent, and one's not the other, and the other's not this, and it's not that, but they're all God, but there's only one God, and there are people that have I mean never even heard that, that don't even comprehend that, that, that are saved. Okay, but the true believer is not going to deny that as as the ignorant or as the unaware are exposed to the truth of God's word concerning the deity of Christ, concerning those who are saved, they will affirm his deity. Take someone who professes faith that doesn't know as they're exposed to that. They will affirm his deity. We're going to end here with verse 12. Um, I think John gives us um, John gives us just naturally, I think, in verse 12, some application, but, but I've got some as well that I want to just briefly throw out there. He says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Listen, either you have Jesus and you have life, or you don't have Jesus and you don't have life. So what's the application with that? <laughs> Make sure you have the right Jesus, don't you? I mean that's it. Make sure you have the right Jesus. Um, I was watching. Oh, uh, what is it? Wretched, 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 TV. I almost said Way of the Master for those that are used to be Way of the Master Radio. Now it's Wretched TV. I was watching uh, uh, a guy do some street preaching, evangelism, witnessing um, yesterday. Jennifer and I were watching the show in the morning, and he was at a state fair and he was talking about um, repentance and faith and Jesus as the only way. And there was a, a, an individual in the in the crowd that was, you know, saying that I'm a Christian, but how dare you say that Jesus is the only way? Um, uh, You know, he's the only way for me, but he might not be the only way for the Buddhist or the Hindu or the whatever is. right? Listen. The Jesus of the Bible is the only way, right? The God-man is the only way and if the individual that you're trusting or the one that you're trusting or someone is trusting for salvation is not the god man is not the only way then he's not the jesus of the bible so the point is this it's it's, again it's make sure you have the right jesus just calling him jesus doesn't make him jesus right That's why I was thinking about this. And I was thinking about the deity of Christ. I I love this topic. Um, I love searching the scriptures and studying how all of scripture, Genesis to Revelation, uh, proclaims the deity of Christ. It it excites me. One, I hope it excites you. I mean, listen, if Jesus is not divine, there is no salvation. Right? I mean, that's it. Right? Um, God, hmm, all right, so we've sinned against God. And because we sinned against God, Only man can atone for sin, right? I mean, he's the one we've sinned against, right? The sin is ours to own, so it's up to us to atone for that sin. But we can't atone for that sin. Only God can atone for that sin. But man has to atone for that sin. You you see the problem, right? Man has to atone for his sin, but only God can atone for sin. Man has to atone for sin, but only... As far as we're concerned, we're, 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 we're in trouble. Because man has to atone for sin, but only God can atone for sin. So, so what's the solution? The forever God-man. Man who atoned for sin and God who atoned for sin. The deity of Christ is... Essential to salvation. If, if Jesus wasn't God, then there is no atonement for sin. We're all going to hell, so we might as well go home and just watch TV. Right? It excites me to study and consider the deity of Christ. Right? And, and one, I, I want it to excite you too. I hope you get excited about it. Search the scriptures. Look at these things. Be excited concerning the nature of Jesus. Right? But here's the thing how we apply this just thinking about it other than just wanting you to be excited when we evangelize others right i don't care if you don't know them or if they're friends or family or coworkers, or whatever the case is as we have opportunity okay i mean sometimes you know we have this set out i'm gonna go witness to this guy and it's gonna go just like this and it goes nothing like that you don't say anything that you wanted to say right we understand that right we still trust god to work and all of that But as we have the opportunity to to evangelize, to witness, to disciple, we need to make sure that the doctrine of Christ's deity is central to the gospel message that we proclaim. Because it is central and essential to the gospel message we proclaim. As As I evangelize my children... I want to make sure, I mean, I, I, man, I desire more than anything for my kids to be saved, for your kids to be saved, for the lost among us here at Sovereign Grace Bible Church to be saved. And as we continue to uh, evangelize and proclaim the gospel to them, we have to make sure that they really understand who Jesus is. right? And then he wasn't just a man that lived a good life, but Jesus was in fact God, is in fact God. I love uh, Titus. Um, and you know, it, it, we teach our children that that Jesus is God, but it wasn't that we've we've taught Titus particularly this answer. Um, It was just, you know, from from just hearing it and being taught it that he put it together. Um, But when you sit down with Titus and you say, Titus, who died on the cross, right? The first time I asked him this question that I remember, I was expecting him to say, well, Jesus, you know, just kind of like catechism type questions. Titus, who died on the cross, Jesus, Titus, what's the chief in the man? Glorify God and join him forever, right? Okay, so I say, Titus, who died on the cross? And he says, God died on the cross. And I'm like, hallelujah, right? I'm like, he gets it. And then I said, okay, maybe, and I'm thinking to myself, maybe he's just confused, right? And then I said, Titus, but what's his name? And he says, Jesus, right? We need to make sure, right, that as we have opportunity to witness, to evangelize, to disciple, right, that we keep the deity of Jesus, who is the Christ, central, because it is central and it is essential. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the forever God man, the eternal Son. Who added humanity to his deity, and I am absolutely blown away by this reality. That, that even now, and I don't get how it works, and I think it's one of those mysterious things that I just find amazing. But even now in heaven, you are—you are the forever God man. Your humanity is as intact today as it was on the day you were conceived on the day you died the day you rose and the day you ascended Jesus let us never forget how important it is that God you came to earth to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that's make atonement for sin. You did what we were commanded to do, yet were helpless to do. And you thereby satisfied God's righteous wrath against sin, securing eternal life for us. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you as Savior. And as Lord, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. The Ancient of Days, the Lord God Almighty, who has always been and who will always be. It is in your precious and holy name and for your glory that we pray. Amen.